This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 77 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Martha Alderson all about plot whispering and creativity. Now, before we get into the uh, meat of the intro, I will just call attention to the fact that I'm sounding, you know, a little bit husky. My dulcet tones are that bit more dulcet, I suppose. Um, And, well, it's a sort of embarrassing confession and I suspect it will come as no fucking surprise to any of you that essentially I burned myself out and uh, got myself a little bit sick. I don't have COVID, I didn't have any of the symptoms. I did phone the line and was like, do I need a test? And they were like, no, you're just a workaholic. Anyway, so I'm fine. I'm just a bit husky and I don't know, I quite like it. I kind of wish my voice was this husky all the time. It's kind of sexy. Anyway, moving swiftly onwards. Last week's question was, what do you find most difficult about the business side of writing? Erin McKnight said, marketing is the hardest part. I never know where to draw the line, so I'm not just pouring money into an endless pit. Arabelle said, currently as an unpublished writer, I'm a bit overwhelmed about needing to build up a following. Um, We've had comments from Carrie and Tom and uh, Scott. Scott has said that there are so many fucking decisions to make, which... I have, I, I'm sure I have spoken about decision fatigue on this podcast and if I haven't I really bloody ought to have but it is real and it is a thing. Ian Worrell says getting sales. Um, Val says I need step-by-step guides on how to do things so legally setting up uh, the business and understanding the taxes taxes would be the hard part for me. Lots of other comments as well. So thank you very much to everybody who took the time uh, to comment on the question. This week's question is, do you plot pants or plants? Uh, Yes, let me know. Do you outline everything? Do you do skeleton drafts? Do you um, write into the dark? How, How do you write? The book recommendation this week is The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Clune. Now, I have been recommended this book so many times and um, because I am a book whore, I have about 85,000 books on my TBR. However, I started reading this uh, just yesterday, so I have not finished it, but oh my God, I am in love with this book already. It is, I didn't actually know that um, this was how it was described, but one of the blurb quotes, because there's this thing, so I don't read book blurbs before I read the books. So um, as can happen over the weekend, I picked up what I thought was a young adult contemporary book about like crime, murder, that kind of stuff. And it actually ended up being a somewhat historical young adult uh, horror, fantasy horror type novel so not actually what I wanted in any way shape or form and that's because I don't read the fucking blurbs anyway um so this book I did not know that this was how it was described but I literally came up with the the same uh, quote as funnily enough Gail Carragher anyway 
The quote goes something like, um, this book is 1984 meets Douglas Adams meets um, Terry Pratchett. It is simply exquisite. It has... Um, oh, I am not even going to tell you anything else, but um, the dialogue is so witty and snappy. The fantasy elements are just divine and it is so happy and joyful and everybody needs some positivity in their life right now and you guys need this book so just do yourself a fucking favor and buy the book and read it put it at the top of your pile because you'll thank me later so a quick reminder that the Rebel Author Diaries anthology submissions are now open and they will be open until the 30th of June. So you're going to hear me talking about it a lot. So yes, if you haven't submitted yet, then you can, or at least you can go and find out because I'm sure it will take you a little bit of time uh, to write your story. Hey, I haven't written my story yet. So, you know, there's time. The Rebel of the Week this week is Dominic August. Dominic says... For many years, I was a gay male exotic dancer. I'm still a gay man, but no longer a dancer, and here is why. I had a weekly gig at a bar in my city, fabulous Palm Springs, California. The bar was a dark, rough, dirty leather bar in the bad part of town. One night, I was on a break, resting my feet in the back room when the owner came in. He saw me wearing boots uh, and I was in underwear and a smile and basically nothing else. And he assumed that that was an invitation for sex. It wasn't. I took my job very seriously and very professionally. He tried to assert himself by saying how much control he had over the bar and his employees. Then he got up in my face and tried to intimidate me into sleeping with him. I pressed my forehead to his, looked him dead in the eye and said, yeah, what are you going to do about it? That scared the man uh, and he backed away grumbling and I assumed that that was the end of it, but I was wrong. At the end of the night, I was enjoying a drink with the bartenders as they cleaned up. We were all chatting, laughing, joking about silly patrons and having a nice time after a long work night. Then the owner appeared again. Not only was he completely drunk, but it was uh, but he was determined to take me home. He put his hands on me and I wasn't going to put up with it. So I told him not only was I not interested, but I was also a happily partnered man. He was ashamed of himself and scurried off. And again, I thought that was the end of it. However, the next day I received a text message from one of his lackeys saying that I no longer worked at his bar. They wanted to go in a different direction. I called bullshit. It was obvious he couldn't control me or have sex with me, so he fired me. It crushed me and I was devastated for a while, but I took my power back. Um, oh, sorry. I took back my power and got slapped in the face. Uh, why? Because my line of work is stigmatised very heavily, so there's not a lot of recourse when these things happen, and they do happen often. But I thought, why? Uh, wait, why am I bothering with this dancing nonsense anyway? It, I've always wanted to be a writer. I was never brave enough to pursue writing before, but after I stood up to that arsehole, I realised that I could have the courage inside me to take anything on. Now I've hung up my dancing shoes, and I'm a full-time writer, and I couldn't be happier. I found a supportive community that values my intellect and my ideas and respects me like a human being. In the end, I'm grateful that uh, the douchebag bar owner was such an asshole because that experience made me see what I should have been doing all along, which was writing. I love this story. I love it because it's about empowerment. It's about taking your power back. And, you know, 
I think so often we forget that it doesn't matter who you are, um, what gender you are, what race you are, um, you know, it doesn't matter about your marital status. You can still be a victim um, of like assault in this way. And who the fuck did this guy think he was? I mean, what an arsehole. And thank God you did stand up for yourself. And I love that you, you know, that, Although this was a horrible and horrific experience, it led you to like your dream and your dream being writing. So, you know, I love this rebellion and thank you so much uh, for sharing what must have been a, you know, difficult memory for you as well. If you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, please do send in your story. It can be any type of rebellion, big, small, or somewhere in between. You can email your Rebel story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or tweet me at rebelauthorpod. One new patron this week, a huge welcome and a very big thank you to Jen Roundall. I know Jen, so hi Jen, thank you very much for jumping into Patreon, I really do appreciate it. And of course, a huge thank you to all of my existing patrons. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content, you can do so from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. And just to note that as this goes live um we will have just had the march uh poison and prose uh, patreon only session so don't forget that is something that you get as an extra and you get counted twice in the rebel uh, anthology submissions so a couple more reasons to join patreon all right oh actually one more thing before we dive into the interview As this airs, if you're listening in real time on Wednesday the 17th of March, then this evening in the UK time, I think it's 8pm, I will be uh, running a session with Mark Lefebvre on wide marketing. So I'll make sure that the link for that is in the show notes. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I am joined by Martha Alderson. Known as the Plot Whisperer for her best-selling book of the same name, Martha Alderson has has had a lifelong passion for supporting women's expression. With the help of the Universal Story, her latest workbook, Boundless Creativity, a spiritual workbook for overcoming self-doubt, emotional traps, and other creative blocks, begins at the intersection of creativity and emotional well-being to advance meaningful productivity and personal growth. The author of historical fiction and non-fiction books for writers and artists, Martha wrote Boundless Creativity as a journal guide towards creative expression and inner confidence and peace. She lives and writes in Santa Cruz, California. Hello. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for joining me. And obviously we now have a mutual friend in common as well, Jordan. Um, So yeah, it's lovely. I love, uh, this is why I love podcasting because, you know, your network just continues to grow and you get to meet all these lovely people who are just as passionate and geeky about words and creativity as you are. So yeah, I'm thrilled. Um, so, oh, my headphone, how exciting. Uh, before we uh, get right into the meat of this um, episode then, would you like to tell everyone a little bit about you and your journey and I guess like how you got to where you are today? Sure. So um, the first half of my life, I was a speech language and learning disability therapist. So I worked with kids who had, you know, learning problems and speech problems. And then I sold my practice and um, 
I started writing and I hadn't written before this point. So, and then I really struggled with plot. Um, and so I did a bunch of research. I analyzed so many books and screenplays and memoirs and novels and to see how the, you know, the rhythm was and mm -hmm. where the plot was and how to sort of, because back in the day, this was quite a while ago, there, there wasn't much written about plot. Um, it would be maybe not even a chapter sometimes in a book. And now there are tons of books that are just about plot. But um, so then I got to be known as the Plot Whisperer and um, lots of people came to me, especially women, because I think that plot is a very left brain, linear, organized, <laughs> dramatic action, external sort of process. And for a lot of writers, they're very right-brained, disorganized, creative, imaginative, you know, lots of elements within us as creative beings that don't necessarily lend ourselves to plot. So it was fun. It was really exciting for me to um, start to open a lot of women's eyes up to plot in order for them to be able to you know, bring their books out and have success. And then I saw that the universal story that I talk about in the Plot Whisperer book was something that I, you know, from doing all these plot consultations with writers all over the world, I just found that it was, the, it's, it, the, that it's not only in books, it's in people's lives, it's in nature, it's in, I mean, it's everywhere. It's this universal energetic pathway that we all seem to be on. And um, it's just really helpful, I think, if we're aware of that and what that represents and sort of where we fall as we're working towards our goals or you know, our dreams or whatever. Because when you understand where you are in the universal story and the obstacles and the problems that you come up against, you can view them in a completely different way. So it's not so personal, but it's this invitation to learn something new about yourself or about the craft or whatever, um, depending on where you are in the universal story. So that's sort of the background. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. And I think, we'll, well, we'll dive into um, the boundless creativity later um, in our discussion. Um, and I, I think we'll focus on the plot whisperer first. So one of the things that I like is that I personally have an obsession with giant pieces of paper. Oh, good. <laughs> when I was at university, I remember very late night once I was, I mean, it was literally like two o'clock in the morning and I was like scrambling around looking for like one of the librarians just to demand this massive piece of paper. And I got one of these giant like bits of mapping, like, you know, when they print giant maps on them, I was just like scrolling. And like, I am still like that now. I, 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 I'm not going to do it, but I have whiteboard sticky, not the like static whiteboard things that I've put all over the wall and they're just post-its all over the place. Oh, so I love, great. I love that you included this in your book. Um, A woman after my own heart. <laughs> I know, right? um, so one of the things that you recommend is starting with a whopping, like, I can't remember what it was, six foot bit of paper or whatever it was. Um, so talk listeners through the basics of this. Like how the hell do you actually start plotting? 
Well, so um, just to tell your listeners, I just finished filming six quick steps called How to Create a Universal Story Planner for Writers, Creatives, and Anyone with a Goal. So that's on my blog, that's on my Instagram and YouTube channels. Um, so it's free. And if you're interested, you can go and sort of see, um, because I show you my uh, universal story planner that I'm doing for a goal that I have to rewrite a novel. And so as I was putting it together, I thought, oh, I could just film these steps and people would benefit from it. And little did I know it would turn into such a huge project. But anyway, it's over now, and I'm so glad. Um, but to go back with what you were just talking about, I start out as a pantser. So for a lot of writers, there's the, the two terms, a pantser, which means you write by the seat of your pants, or you just sort of wing it without a plan. And then there are plotters, and those are people that are more organized and need to have a plan. Well, I'm a bit of both. I pretty much start as a pantser. I just jump right in and I get so excited about what I'm doing. And then I very quickly realize I need a plan. I've got to get organized because <laughs> if things get too chaotic around me um, or in my brain, it's like I can't really sort it out. And I do so much better with visual aids. I, you know, when I was young, I was dyslexic and nonverbal and my mom was an artist. And so whenever she'd speak to me, she'd doodle. And these little doodles were really the way that I learned language. It wasn't through the auditory because that's what was sort of out of whack for me. Um, so it wasn't listening to the language, but it was watching what she was drawing. So to this day, I just love visual aids. I love anything that I can stick up on the wall and, um, and have this organized plan that I can look at. And every day I don't have to think about the whole picture. I can just focus on this one step, just that one step that I need to do today. And if I do that, I'm successful. If I don't, I move it to the next day. So the next day I can be successful. So um, yeah, winging it gets me started and plotting keeps me going. So that's what I'm trying to help anyone who has a goal, but also for uh, writers, the universal story planner can also function as a plot planner where you do organize your plot. And it depends on how you write and who you are. Um, because in order to plot, you're well served if you know the end of your story. But lots of writers write for discovery. You know, they'll start a story, they've got a great line of dialogue, or they've got this cool character, or, you know, something gets them stimulated and going. And so then they, you know, just write by asking themselves, okay, because this happened to the protagonist, what's she going to do next? And because this happens, how will she then react? And then they, you know, sort of go through the whole story to the end. Um, but at some point, whether you pre-plot before you write, whether you plot along as you're writing, or whether you plot at the end in order to test your plot and your story overall, everyone, all writers really benefit from a visual map of where their character is going and where is the energy the highest and are the page turnings where they need to be in order to keep the reader active and engaged. Yeah, I, I'm one of those writers that will typically start with an ending. 
Um, and funnily enough, I'm somewhere in the middle as well. So I, but I'm the other way around. So I will start with like the ending, like brief notes about the ending, and I will have a list of scenes that I know, and that's what all my post-its are. There, each each post-it is a scene, and but I won't necessarily know the order that they go in. And I don't write in order either. I'm one of these chaotic uh, writers that as long as I can see the ending, I'm a gun for it. Like, it doesn't matter. I'll, and I will jump all over the place and then I like slot it in. However, I still try and start with some semblance of an outline, even if it is just on post-its and it's, you know, like this is my inciting incident. This is my midpoint incident. This is my dark night. This is my ending, you know, and, and it's like, that might just be two words, like he gets punched or, you know, whatever. Um, but that's enough to, to give me some structure. And then as I go through and I've written words like more like more times than not, I end up having to re-outline because something goes wrong or I get a better idea or, you know, whatever. And um, so I still don't feel like I have. I'm not comfortable with either pantsing or outlining. And, you know, that can I can only get comfortable by continuing to write more books. But it is like a perpetual frustration for me that I don't have a very clear, even if my process is chaos, like I just wish that I had a clear process because none of my books seem to come out exactly like in the, in the same process so yeah like I uh, yeah I love that anyway um but I, but I but I would like to just um beg to differ a little bit you do have a process those post-it notes are what I recommend using because it does allow you to put them where you think that they're going to belong just vaguely and then you can move them as you're writing and see that oh maybe I need to switch this up or you know oh it's not the um, no turning back scene. This is actually the crisis scene or, you know, whatever it happens to be. So, you know, the things that I try to help writers with, especially female writers is not, you know, I have to keep reminding people plotting is not writing, you know, writing is putting the words on the page, the plotting and the techniques that I try to share are just to help you keep at it. Mm -hmm. You know, the most important thing is getting the words on the page. And then you can, you know, once you have a full draft, you it's much easier to then sort of step back and then you can transfer all the scenes that you've just written in a rough draft onto post-it notes and those you can then plot in place and see what your, what your overall plot looks like. You know, if it's rising and falling where you think it needs to, because the universal story really is in all of our bodies. You know, if we've been read to a lot as kids or we read tons of books, it's part of us. You know, it's just this rhythm that is so natural to keep people on the edge of their seats to keep reading or mm -hmm. listening or whatever your mode of um, expression happens to be. 
Yeah. So I think you are. I mean, I think you are plotting and I think you have a great process. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, sometimes, but isn't it crazy though? Because sometimes we just need permission. And I talk about this all of the bloody time. I even have, like, I literally have post-its on my computer that say, you have permission. That was the last email I sent to my mailing list as well uh, to say, like, you have permission because we, like, especially at the moment where us creatives and and so we are for listeners listening in the future we are recording this in early february 2021 um and so certainly in the uk anyway we are still in very tight lockdown and like i genuinely feel like creative people are natural rebels we are natural rule breakers like we literally make shit up for a living like it is our job to lie and break the rules like you know so this like this suffocation and this you know rules that are being placed on us is just not natural um and yeah like and so this is why I keep trying to remind myself I have permission I have permission to plot or to pants you know I, I wrote a read and magnet short story today and just pants the whole fucking thing because I was like I don't know what I'm gonna write I'm just gonna start writing and it was amazing fun you know like sometimes different stories require different methods I guess um but yeah anyway I suppose like what I'm taking from this is I just have permission to just get the story done however which way that I plot or out or, or not as the case may be um and I think that's really important because we do beat ourselves up. Um, you wrote in some notes that you sent to me ahead of our time together. We are highly sensitive people, generally mm. speaking, creatives. You know, we, um, we see the world in a different way sometimes than other people. And so I think oftentimes rather than embrace our uniqueness and our differentness and our rebellion and all the rest of it is we um, try to conform. You know, it's like, we want to be like everybody else so we don't feel so odd. And so, yeah, I give people permission all the time. Be as wacky as you came here to be, you know, that's you. Don't try to be somebody else because we're going to lose that gift that you came here to share. Absolutely. So what do you think are the biggest mistakes writers make with plotting? Well, I think oftentimes um, writers spend way too much time perfecting the beginnings of their stories. They'll, you know, the beginning is relatively easy. I say relatively because sometimes just starting is the hardest part. But um, that first quarter of a story you know, is a lot easier than it's going to be when you get into the second, third and fourth quarters, because that's when chaos happens. That's when the protagonist is going to get hurt. That's where, you know, there's all these stumbling blocks and challenges where in the first quarter, you're setting things up. You're trying to invite in the reader. You want to, you know, get the character defined in a certain way to make them attractive, to want to read about them or not. And, um, so, so it's easy to stay there because we're not getting into the heart of the emotions. You know, really what, what is the character really experiencing now? The beginning is a little bit more superficial and it's much easier to stay at a superficial level than it is to dive deep and get down into that, those nastier, dirtier, uglier, scarier moments, you know, that are gonna come later. So um, I really recommend to writers is 
to write a draft from beginning all the way to the end without going back. Um, and it's hard for people, you know, it's like, oh God, I can't leave this mess. I mean, look at my rough draft. It's so rough. People are going to think I'm stupid or an idiot or whatever. And it's like, who cares? You know, so what? You have to do what's right for you as a creative and as a writer. And this is your life, you know? And so um, the more time you spend at the end, once you get there, that's when you can start looking for plot twists and unexpected surprises. And, oh, what if the character did this instead? Or, you know, it really allows you to have the foundation and then pump it up, you know, really get to some exciting new ideas out of that. Yeah, I love that. One of the things that I have taken to doing more recently is uh, writing what I call a skeleton draft. So I tend not to put any emotion in, in the first draft, because the hardest part for me is just getting to the end of the story. So especially because I write all over the place. So some chapters might only have 500 words that end up 4,000 words. But what matters to me in that first draft is getting the correct sequence of story, the correct sequence of obstacles, the correct sequence of high and low. And, and then when I go back, I add plotting. So you're essentially plotting essentially. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I never thought about it like that, but yeah, that, I suppose that is what I'm doing. Oh, dramatic action. The dramatic action is really the plot, you know, that the character emotional development is that internal stuff. So the fact that you're getting the movement, you know, this is going to happen. She's going to move from here to here. Then she's going to get punched in the face or whatever that is. You're setting up your plot. Yeah. Never kind of saw it that way, but I always say that I can't do the rest unless I know that. Um, anyway, that's just me personally. And then in the second draft, it then gets a lot bigger because all the emotion goes in, all the description goes in, all the, uh, there's quite often a lot of dialogue in that first um draft but that's because it's fast paced and you know there's it keeps it moving but yeah and then so the second draft is when yeah all of that padding and description and and emotional and and you know narrative all that goes in um and then I can go back and edit it but yeah like that's I don't even remember why I'm talking about that I, I think because you mentioned just getting to the end oh yeah that's right um yeah so like that is one tool in my toolkit that I now use um, just to get to the end because there is such like emotional relief for me in just getting to the end because then it's like proving to myself that I can do it even though it's a trick because I haven't got a you know like a 80,000 word draft I might only have 40,000 or 50,000 but the story's there you know so no, yeah, I think I that's brilliant. I think it's very brilliant because then when you go back, you can sink into all of the juicier parts, which is all the character parts of it. And um, no, I think, that's, I think that's lovely because until your plot and structure is set, you really can't move on, you know, because you need to understand this, these are the parameters. And now within this, I can do anything I want. You know, mm. I can change things or uh, 
just make things more exciting or whatever it is. So I think that's brilliant. My, my critique partner is the opposite way around. So in her first drafts, it's all emotion ex- exploration and like the, the inner journey. And then she has to go back in and put in the pace and the structure. And so like, I love that we compliment each other and, yes. and that, you know, like this, anyway, this is why I love creativity because there is literally no correct way to do this. Yeah. Um, one of the sections in your books, uh, book, sorry, talks about details and using details to enhance plots so I wondered if you could talk a little bit about um the kinds of details that writers can use sure so the theme of a story or the thematic significance generally come bubbles up out of the story itself some writers will have a theme that they want to then prove with their novel but generally speaking it comes writers don't always know what their themes are and they're, you know, they're just writing and then their critique partner or someone else might read it and say, oh, this is really all about whatever. And then, you know, your eyes light up and it's, oh yeah, that's perfect. Write that down. That's exactly (laughs) what it is. Um, Because sometimes it's hard for us to find our own, you know, the themes in our own stories. Although generally speaking, for the first few books you write, the themes are generally your own personal themes that you're trying to figure out, although you might not know that at the time. So the more that you, so when you finish the whole draft, you look for the themes, you know, what, what, what am I really writing about in this book? You know, if it's about um, betrayal or about, you know, revenge or, you know, whatever these bigger thematic um concepts are, then you can determine the details that you're going to use, because the details really are best when they enhance the thematic significance. In other words, that you find words that that somehow will contribute to the theme, um, so that they're not just words that are beautiful or poetic or whatever, but that they really come up through the story itself to bring more meaning to the overall um, thematic significance. And so you're sort of nailing that in over and over again, every time you pick an authentic detail that really seems to fit thematically and works for the time period that you're writing. Yeah, I'm trying to think of an example of that in practice from something I've read recently. Um, I suppose like even like representing your theme and your side characters or like their choices as well um, is like another way to do that. Um, Yeah, something will come to me. Okay, so a lot of writers struggle with the middle of their book. So what advice do you have to help writers tighten up their plot uh, in the middle of their books? Okay, so if you think of the middle as as where the true story really begins, the story doesn't truly begin until the protagonist crosses over from the beginning into the middle, um, you know, at that no turning back energetic marker. And so once they pass into the middle, they are really moving into the territory of the antagonists or the territory of opposition, because this is where they're going to you know, you've got to know what your character wants, what their goal is. And then 
once you know that and you sort of know who the characters are because you've introduced them in the beginning, then you look for using those secondary characters as antagonists to interfere with the protagonists making progress towards their goal. And certainly a lot of the um, obstacles are gonna come internally, you know, out of fear or insecurity or doubt or whatever, but you also can use your secondary characters as a way to um, prevent the, the protagonist from moving closer to their goal because that can creates conflict and conflict is page turnability. And then for those of you who do write all the way to the end and you have a full, you know, rough draft and it can be as rough as it has to be and as short as it has to be, but you have all your major turning points in place. Then when you know who the character is at the end and what they're going to do at the climax or their triumph, you can then do what I call, um, you know, you can deconstruct the character and you can also do a task analysis. In other words, you can look at who the character is at the, the end, what traits they need, what clues they need, what belief patterns they need in order to be successful at the triumph. And then you strip those away from them early on, you know, like in the first quarter, they don't have that. They don't have the belief in themselves. They don't have the physical strength they need. They don't have the clues that they're gonna to need to have in order to you know, solve the mystery or whatever. And then in the middle will be opportunities, again, with these secondary characters or whomever to teach the characters what they need to know in order to be successful at the end. And it's not blatant. It's not like, oh, I'm learning this now, the protagonist says, because I'm gonna <laughs> need it later. But it comes up out of the overall plot. It's just the next scene, you know, because this happens, now the character needs to learn how to do this next. So that it gives you the middle, this opportunity to both create tension, to keep the pages turning, but also to develop the character and to develop the skills and the abilities and the, all the things that they need in order to be successful at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I want to I want to move on to boundless creativity now. Um, and one of the things that I really liked about boundless creativity is that you put us as in we the creative or you the listener um, as you go through the book or the journal. Um, you call it a journal, don't you? Um, you are the protagonist in that journal and story, which makes total sense, except that I don't think in all, you know, I I don't really journal now, but in all the years that I did journal, I never really saw myself as the protagonist in that story, which is nuts because of course that's exactly who you are. (laughs) So I thought it was such a genius way because you literally talk about like you as in the reader as the, as the protagonist, which I just thought was fantastic. And also you, you, you are, um, you know, using story structure, uh, to, to help, um, us through the book which I just thought was like genius frankly I'm so glad yeah no I thought it was brilliant um I I can't remember if I've said this already on the podcast or if I said this before we um started but 
please do stop me if I have already said this. Um, so I think, you know, because we are rule breakers and, and creatives, we're finding it very hard to be creative in this environment, like with the lockdowns. And a lot of creators and writers are in crisis, like be it because of family problems or you know, unfortunately, losses or deaths in families um, because they're locked down, because they themselves get sick, because they're having to work and homeschool and all of this um, stuff. And and I think naturally creative people, perhaps because we're more sensitive or just because our minds have to be more open to our imaginations, we, we have a tendency to lean towards darkness and darker emotions. Um, and one of the phrases, I hope you don't mind me quoting the, the book, one of the phrases um, that struck me was a project I've worked on for years, I still haven't completed and it eats at me. Now, I literally like I'm getting goosebumps <laughs> even saying that because I have that project. Like I have a project that is literally over two years late because I just can't finish the fucking book. And, and I mean, I drafted it now and it's still wrong. And actually funny enough, I recorded a podcast last night and I think I have finally worked out the problem. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it was literally because um, I, I, I am writing a heroine's journey, not a hero's journey. And I didn't quite have the motivation aligned with what a heroine's journey should be so now I know I can go and fix it but um like that phrase that you use in your journal is something that I mean I I felt it so personally that it almost hurt to read the line mm-hmm. and so I wanted well I wondered if you would talk a little bit about um how writers can deal with these darker emotions like these really they are really strong emotions that we feel and so yeah how can we deal with these darker emotions well I think first is um to identify what you're feeling you know really get in touch with what you're feeling because lots of times that's the problem is that we don't slow down long enough to check in with ourselves we just walk around angry or scared or upset or frustrated or discouraged or whatever it is. Um, And, you know, and somebody says, what's wrong? And nothing, there's nothing wrong (laughs) because we're not checking in. So it's really important, I think, throughout the day, just to check in with yourself, how you're feeling, what's going on, where is your energy level? You know, for me, everything is about energy, the energy of the universal story and our own personal energy. And in order to be a creative and to be successful, our energy has to be high. We have to have the energy to go the distance, you know, because it's not always easy to show up every day for our work, especially if we're insecure about what we're doing or, you know, we're treading on new territory or it hasn't been done before or whatever, or we have these, you know, other people whispering in our ears, oh, you're gonna embarrass the family or whatever it is that you're doing. and then to let yourself really feel it. I mean, don't try to deny what? it. What? Don't try to I get feel out of it. things. Oh, how am I supposed to feel things? <laughs> the thing that's really great for writers, especially, is that the more you allow yourself to feel it, the better you can convey those feelings in your story. Mm. Because, you know, we work so hard not to use cliches. But if you don't, 
tap into what you're feeling. It's easy to use cliched emotions, you know, saying it the same way that everybody else has always said it. Whereas if you get in touch with your deeper, darker emotions, feel them, see what's happening viscerally, see what's, how that's clouding your mind, see what that's doing to your energy level and your production level. It really will help you become a better writer because you can then impose or superimpose those sorts of reactions on your character. And then I rec- go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, like, I think that's brilliant because like to be creative is to be vulnerable. And I think we, you know, I mean, I hate to stereotype, but really in Britain, there is still a stiff upper lip and, you know, we are, we do just get on with things and we don't really allow our children, you know, and I am making a sweeping generalization. Please don't hate me, British people. I am also British, but you know, we, 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 we are, you know, we do, we have this stiff upper lip and, you know, we sort of don't really cry in public and actually, um, you know, feeling these things is scary for some people who, you know, haven't felt much over the years or for whatever reason that may be. But actually, I think you are so right in that when we just allow ourselves to go in, like be in our bodies and feel those reactions, we can then convey um, that into our stories. And that's very, um, who was it? I think it's Stanislavski who used to say, you know, teach the actors, you have to really feel like the emotion of whatever it is that character um, would have felt, you know, it's not your feelings, it's their feelings, you know, you have to, and and look back at your experiences. and so I think, yeah, like, but unless you actually allow yourself to have those emotional experiences, you're not going to be able to do that or convey it. No, I think that's really true. And one thing that frustrates me so much is when I see, you know, on television, um, somebody is being interviewed, they've just gone through a really tough time or a really lovely time or whatever, and they show emotion, they start to cry and they always ask for forgiveness. Oh, I'm so sorry. Like showing emotions is something to apologize for. And I want to scream at the screen and say, no, own it. Mm -hmm. The more we allow ourselves to show emotions in real life, the more that allows other people to show it. And yes, there might've been times in the past where it wouldn't serve us well to show our emotions. But I think in today's world, if people could be more honest about how they're feeling and display it with pride, it would really make people not so crazy and neurotic. And, and, you know, it wouldn't, life would be easier if we could all just feel what we're feeling and be accepting of it. Yeah, I I totally agree. It's funny because we have a um, very emotional um, young boy and, um, I'm trying very hard to allow him to feel those feelings and to teach him that it's okay to feel sad or to feel frustrated or, you know, feel excited or whatever it is. And, and, but, you know, like it does, it, it it does really show you that so often, even from like toddler age in like cartoons that they watch, or, you know, even he, 
I've had to teach him that it's okay to feel these things because, you know, he would be cross that he was crying or, or whatever. And I'm like, no, that's okay. Like, feel it. Like, just come and give me a hug. Like, we will, you know, sit and cry together or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. I just... It's so, Which is it's so, so positive. It's so positive because especially in lockdown, you know, mm -hmm. young people are really struggling. Mm -hmm. And if they're not allowed to express their feelings, honestly, you know, I mean, you can just sort of imagine the, who they're going to grow up to be, or you look at it as writing a story and you can sort of imagine what that character is going to be like. So and then one thing that I really recommend too is to, as you're feeling what you're feeling, is then, you know, and to really allow yourself to get into it, then turn your thoughts to your strengths. Think about a strength that you already embody that can help you override the darkness. So in other words, you're feeling sad, you know, or scared that you're not good enough what you're writing is a piece of shit. You know, you're never going to be anything. And, you know, you're just feeling all of these really dark places. Then you go to yourself and say, okay, I also have strengths. I know I have strengths somewhere within me because I've written a book before, or I've finished, you know, a goal that I had before, or this or that, and then find that strength and allow that strength to be paired with the darkness so that you can allow yourself to feel it and then pull and then have a strategy to pull yourself out of it because of my optimistic nature i'm going to feel what i'm feeling but i'm also going to allow myself permission to be happy you know I, it's my choice and this is what i'm going to choose to do and I think that that's what's so exciting about writing and being any kind of a creative is that it allows us a way to get to know ourselves better. Mm. That those things that we meet along the way on the universal story are there on purpose. They're intentional. They're there to get you to wake up, to see, oh my God, look at what I'm doing to myself. Nobody else is sabotaging me. I'm sabotaging myself. And then, you know, you take responsibility and you do something to make it better. Um, because what you create really is only as good as the quality of your heart while you're creating. So if you're creating, you know, being mad or depressed or whatever, you can feel what the energy of the story is going to be at the end of it. And sure, if that's what you want, that's what you'll infuse the, the story with. But if you're, you know, if what you're doing is a passion and it comes from deep within you, you're going to have to clear a lot of the old stuff away in order to get to that jewel that is within you that wants to come out. But it's been layered with all of the things that we've learned, um, you know, or the, the mistakes we've made or the failures we've had or whatever. So, um, I just think being creative is a wonderful emotional tool to get to know ourselves better. My um, uh, um, next question is selfish, <laughs> but it's my <laughs> podcast. So I'm allowed to ask the occasional selfish question. Um, so I have never struggled with motivation, like ever until the last week. And then in the last week, it just poof, poof, went away. 
And I, I did not know what to do with myself because I am so ridiculously highly motivated. It was, it was a shock. I shall tell you. Um, and one of the, in, in one of the chapters, you say, often the motivation that got you started at the beginning of a creative project may not be enough to keep you going as the going gets harder and you become more emotional. Weak motivation fails to inspire your commitment through such a challenging voyage. And so I wondered if you could talk um, a little bit about that, because I think everybody gets that excited starting energy and, you know, everybody gets very excitable finishing energy, but nobody really talks about the techniques to that you can use to keep you going in those times where actually your motivation does wax and wane. Um, so yeah, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. So one um, idea is just to keep asking yourself why this goal. So you may have started, you know, oh, my goal is I'm going to write this short story that just popped in my mind and I'm so excited about it. And this is going to be just a romp and it's going to be great. So then you start writing and then you, you know, you enter the middle of the universal story and you start hitting obstacles. Oh, this is a little bit harder than I thought. Oh, I don't really have the time I thought I was going to have. Oh, this is ridiculous. Why am I wasting my time? You know, whatever. But if you ask yourself why this goal, you know, it may start because you're just swept up in this excitement. But then as you get deeper into it, it's the opportunity. Oh, if I keep at this, I'm probably going to learn something more about myself. There's something here that is preventing me from going forward. And, and I think that I'll be well served to spend some time exploring this. What happened? Why did I lose my motivation? What am I afraid of? What's going on here? Because fear is really at the core of mm. so much of you know, what prevents us from moving forward. And then to ask yourself, what will success mean to you? You know, if you're looking for an external, oh, I'm going to be famous, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be, make all this money, I'm going to be whatever, whatever. It, that's an external goal that you don't really have a lot of say over that really comes after you create what you're creating. So what will success mean to you? Every time I finish and I get to the end, I feel really good about myself. And I find that it makes me really stronger the next time I try something hard is I realize I had a hard time before and this time I can and work my way through it. Um, and then to ask yourself, what is failure? I mean, what would be failure to you? And is it failure if you've learned something valuable mm -hmm. about yourself or about the craft of writing or, you know, about the people who are in your life that are, you know, rather than letting you work when you need to work, they are trying to get you to go play with them outside or, you know, whatever, but you're learning and that learning is worth everything, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm not sure I believe in failure. I believe in quitting. You can quit and sometimes that's okay if that's the right thing and you need to do that. That's absolutely fine. Um, but is it, I, yeah, I'm just not sure if I believe in failure. Like if you've learned something and you can iterate and make it better next time, then was it really a failure if you end up getting to your end goal? Well, no, I don't really think it was. Um, no, because I think my feeling is all of these external things are things, this is going to get a little out there, but these are all things that are of 
you know, the material world. We are putting books forward that are going to be, you know, within a cover that people can pick up and buy and they become a commodity. But there's also a, a secondary or not secondary, but there's also a deeper reality that's happening. And that is at a spiritual level, who we are at our depth with our intuition, our wisdom, you know, wisdom comes from emotions and learning about our emotions. Um, and so if we're only looking at the material level, we're missing out on what it's really all about because all the material stuff, yes, it's important. It puts a roof over our head. It gives us food to eat and all of that. But that's secondary to who we are as individuals who we are growing to become wiser, to become more productive, to become more loving, you know, whatever that is. Um, so that to be able to look on both levels at once and not to um, trivialize this deeper level, because to me, that's where the real gift is, is the, that internal stuff that goes on. I agree so much. Oh, what a wonderful chat. I, uh, yeah, I'm going to go away and ponder lots of things, I think, this evening. But before I go and do that, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So can you tell us about a time you unleashed your inner rebel? Well, I thought about that a lot since I got your notes. <laughs> really, I've thought about that a lot. Thinking, God, I'm not really very much of a rebel. But then I realized, so in the Boundless Creativity and in the novel I just put out last year, um, Parallel Lives, the 60s love story, in both cases, I wrote about parts of my own personal story that I had grown up being um, cautioned very strictly not to talk about that these were secrets, you know, it had to do with sexual abuse and things like that. So they were secrets that were sort of eating me from within that, that, you know, I guess I was just afraid to speak of because I was so cautioned against it. Um, so I felt like that was really a rebellion was when I wrote about them was when I owned them was when I just allowed those parts of me to be as important and as special and as cherished as all the other parts of myself. So that felt very rebellious. And then um, I'm painting a wall mural. I've given myself part of my um, inner goal for this rewriting the avenue is um, which is what I talk about in the, the videos that I just did for the, you know, creating a universal story planner is I have a tendency to get really excited about what I'm doing and I'll totally burn myself out. You know, it's like, <laughs> I'll forget to eat and drink and I just work until I'm to the point of, you know, I'm, I'm about to go nuts. So I'm trying to give myself more breaks in order to not do that, you know, I'm at the age where you think, God, it took you a long time to learn that, but whatever. <laughs> uh, so one of my breaks is that I now I'm allowing myself to do this wall mural. Well, I've never done a wall mural before, so I don't know what I'm doing. So that feels a little rebellious. But I also, um, a few years ago, 
my husband, who's 10 years older than I am, moved into the little beach cottage next door to me. So it's the first time that I've sort of, since I was young, had my own space where I can really do whatever I want to do. And this wall mural is very, um, very whimsical, very out of the box, just not, anyway, it's part of my rebellion and I'm really having fun with it. Oh, I love it. I love both of those. What fantastic rebellions. Thank you for sharing. Um, I Yeah, I literally love the uh, the warm year. I can't even say the word. Mural. Yes, thank you. Funnily enough. Um, funnily enough when this when we stop recording I'm going to show you the side of my office not least because I want to show you my big bits of paper but also because um this is my this is the first house we've ever owned and so this is my first proper office and um when I moved in here I was like I want a purple wall and 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 everyone was a bit like but but purple's so dark are you sure you want purple I was like I want a fucking purple wall I'm gonna have a purple wall so um in, instead of painting the entire wall I sort of frog taped this geometric pattern and I've got like two shades of purple oh. like in the corner and it makes all the wall look wonky and I just I love it so yeah oh anyway. that's great I love that <laughs> girl power and girl murals anyway um Okay, tell listeners where they can find out more about you and your books. Okay, so my um, website is MarthaAlderson at um, .com. And so everything is there. I do give a lot of tips on Twitter, my Plot Whisper Twitter, my Plot Whisper Facebook and Plot Whisper Instagram. Um, and then I have a YouTube channel with lots of tips, you know, that you can watch the videos and so anyway, but all of it is, I think you can find everything if you go to the website and then that will direct you to all these other places, but it has all my books listed there. And, um, you know, I'm just really passionate about trying to serve, especially female writers to keep them creating, because I think if we want to create a new paradigm um, that isn't as patriarchal, you know, putting men at the top, um, we really have to get in touch with ourselves as women and not to perpetuate a patriarchal point of view in our stories, but truly, you know, to be able to access the sacred feminine, which a lot of us have never been taught to do. I'm listening to um, a, uh, a audio book by Shaman. I want to say like Jurek, I can't remember. Anyway, I'll tell you afterwards. And he talks about how society needs to get back in touch with like the this feminine um, energy and and power. You might like it. I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend it to you after we finish recording. Um, okay, thank you so much for your time today. No, thank you. I really had a ball talking to you. It's so fun. I know. I I, oh, I love this podcast. I love the opportunities of like talking to such wonderful, interesting and like mutually creative people. Um, and of well, course, it's fun to be interviewed by you, too, because you're very enthusiastic. <laughs> I love how you share about your own story um, to be able to bring depth to what we're talking about. So this has been a real joy. Thank you. I think it's like, and I, I will end the podcast in a second, but like, I think that there is power in sharing that vulnerability and, you know, sharing that I have made mistakes and, you know, yes, okay, I might be a full-time writer, but I still mess up, you know, and I'm still learning. And I think that 
by sharing that, maybe I will help somebody to feel less alone. I don't know. I, I hope so anyway. Because if we're not learning, then we're dead. I mean, yeah. really, what's the point? <laughs> exactly. What's the point? Exactly. Okay. Well, thank you very much to all of the show's listeners. And of course, an enormous thank you to the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Martha Alderson, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm joined by Tara Kremen from Kobo, and we will be talking about how to sell audio on Kobo, as well as how to sell ebooks and generally just sell more books on Kobo. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.